Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. Before we get going, I wanted to make a little announcement that I had intended to put out an episode over the weekend. And I started this podcast because I have many different interests. You, if you do listen to this podcast regularly, you've heard me do movie reviews. You've heard me cover television series, obviously, like the ones we'll be covering today. And listening to music as well with friends. But another big interest I have was this intersection of technology and culture. So I had recorded and was about to drop an episode where I was going to talk about just stories that I think the media is either underreporting or incorrectly reporting, usually because they're going for the most sensationalistic skew on a story, and also because they're just not technologists, which I am. And I'm not a journalist, but I am a very interested bystander. And also, I think I have a intersectional perspective that often doesn't get expressed. So I get frustrated when I hear how media covers certain stories. And I had recorded something talking about this slight hysteria that happened with that QR code ad during the Super Bowl. So I will be eventually publishing that, but that seems so frivolous in the light of this Ukrainian attack by Putin's uh, regime. I scrapped that, but I will be covering this topic of technology and politics, culture, etc., and the first official episode will drop later this week. Those episodes will include like a tech corner, tech talk, let's say, as well as just what I've been watching and movie reviews, m music reviews, or a little music history, just other topics that I don't always get to explore in these longer conversations I have with Sona on these television recaps. So do keep your eyes peeled for that. In that first episode, the reality is that Russia's power right now, beyond being an energy producer for Europe, is in their state sponsorship of cyber warfare. Previously, we would say these were probably mostly just hackers that were ransoming the wealth of the West. And Putin and his cronies were 100% on board with this because it inflates their power, it disrupts the West, and it is literally a percent, you know, a one or two percents of their actual GDP at this point. There were well over a billion dollars in ransomware attacks, and that doesn't even include these online scams. An analysis showed that almost three quarters of all that money flows back into Russia. And that's only going to accelerate. So it is our responsibility to have better online hygiene to prevent these attacks because if you get ransomware, you are indirectly suborning or supporting this regime and other regimes we don't like, like the North Koreans, for example, another big hacker collective. So that is a much bigger topic, and I definitely will de delve into it, and I am going to give you some pointers on how you can do some very, very simple things to prevent yourself from being hacked or scammed, especially if you're a business owner, but even just very basic things you can do personally. But I will not be spending a lot of time with that in this episode, but I did want to call it out because it's just the, obviously the most pressing thing in the news right now, and I didn't want the moment to pass without calling it out. So later this week, all that information, I'm just organizing my head and getting all these supporting materials together so that I can publish them in the show notes. So do hang in there for that and expect that relatively early in the week. But for today's episode, Sona is on vacation. So I will be giving you the rundown on Apple TV Plus's latest third episode of Severance. Before we dive into that, as usual, the usual calls to action, make sure you subscribe so you know when these shows become available. Recommend this to somebody who may appreciate this. It's the best way to help us grow the audi our audience. Give us some feedback. Email us at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. And just once again, just to cover what we'll be covering in the upcoming weeks and months, 
the after party, which I'll mention very briefly in this episode. Not too much happened this week, but it is wrapping up next week. We'll be finishing that up next week. We will continue, Sona and I, to recap Severance through its run through early April. Simultaneously, Moon Knight, the Disney Plus Marvel show, will be kicking off on March 30th, and I will be covering that with a different set of contributors. And in mid-April, just revealed within the past week or so, Sona and I both have maybe our favorite show, I think, on television, possibly still running, is Better Call Saul. And the final season, split in half, will be coming beginning on in April 18th, I believe the date is, but mid-April. So we will definitely be going week to week on Better Call Saul. So if you are a fan, we will be covering that throughout the summer. Oh, and if you do want to catch up on Better Call Saul, by the way, the first four or five seasons, whatever they're up to now, they're all available on Netflix very easily. So we will probably be doing a recap of the show to this point in preparation for the new season. But do catch up on that. It's an excellent, excellent show. Maybe the best show on television, in my opinion. And as I mentioned beyond that, we will also be covering the second half of the final season also of Ozark. We'll be dropping later in the summer. And other things I personally will probably will be covering with contributors or on my own. The Boys is coming back to Amazon Prime. There's a new season of Stranger Things. And in the near term, in that later episode I mentioned this week, where I'm going to delve into the history of Russia and its cyber attacks and how we can protect ourselves against this, I will be seeing Matt Reeves' new Batman, the Batman movie, with Robert Pattinson. And that review should come later this week as well. All right, so before we get into Severance, I did want to spend a couple minutes talking about the after party, only because I've been following it week to week. I'm not going to give any spoilers here, so you can skip ahead a couple minutes if you're not watching the after party or hang in there because this will be very, very short. But basically, the genre for this week was police procedural. I thought they did a pretty good job of creating a police procedural. And just like they've done in previous episodes, they got me vested in this story, which is completely artificial. And I guess that's something that thematically they're trying to explore here, that even when you know the the story is artificial, you still get vested in it. So that's a very interesting philosophical premise. But as far as how it made me more vested in the entire show, I mean, I thought this was pretty mediocre episode. It's not a standout, not a terrible episode, just kind of there. I know it gets us closer to the finale, but that's all I have to say. It it wasn't very funny. There weren't any really great, hilarious moments like there has been in some of the previous episodes. And for me, the show really peaked with episode three, the uh, Jasper episode, the musical, and then with the high school episode, which was very entertaining and more thematically rich in dealing with these people's lives today versus their lives in high school. And Sona also really enjoyed Zoe's episode last week. I thought it was okay. I didn't really like it as much as she did. But this episode just kind of pushes the ball a little bit further down. They do end on a cliffhanger. And the final episode will be an interview of Maggie, the daughter. And whatever she saw that night apparently will reveal what actually happened. So I am interesting to see, interested in seeing that interview to see if she has a very different perspective on it, what genre that's going to be in, and what her insight adds But at this point in the show, I really feel like they need to nail this last episode for me to say that I would recommend this to other people. Uh, Otherwise, I would pretty much tell folks to watch the first three episodes and skip the rest, to be honest with you. Or maybe the first three episodes and then high school and then skip the rest. And that's all I have to say about that. So no spoilers. And I will definitely be discussing this with Sona next week. We'll be watching the finale together and we will get that review out. If they come back and attack us, I think we should kill Mark. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So they think we're crazy with nothing to lose. Smart. That's smart. Like I'm imagining them rounding a corner and we're all blood-soaked and I'm wearing your face and they're like, whose face is that? 
And I'm like, the last person who fucked with us. And that's just feeling like a really powerful image to me. Just seems like they'd recognize my face. Maybe if you wore it inside out. So, Severance, episode three, in perpetuity. A few call-outs here I wanted to make. I forgot to mention these when I was talking to Sona, but I had written notes down that a few more call-outs to this style, this kind of almost <coughs> retro future style that they go with on this show. One is Brazil, Terry Gilliam's Brazil, a great film from the 1980s. Another one is, I think, a show that's very, very underseen, an excellent show from Kerry Fukunaga, the series he made in between True Detective and the latest James Bond movie, Maniac, which has a lot in common with the show starring Jonah Hill and Emma Stone. Given that pedigree, believe it or not, I think that that series is pretty underseen and it's actually very good, very interesting, but uneven, but still very interesting. And one last uh, reference point here is I do feel this show also has a feel of Mr. Robot, especially in this lo-fi technology, this interest in technology, but in a very lo-fi way, as well as it feeling like it's an alternate history. And we've seen a lot of these alternate histories, not only is Mr. Robot obviously an alternate history of our present day. Shows like Succession and Veep also have an alternate history where it's obviously present day, but we have um, different types of technology, different types of political leaders, etc., in to varying degrees in these different shows. All things worth watching, by the way. And it still remains to be seen if we are see seeing the present day in this show. As Sona pointed out, these, sh these cars look like they are probably from the 90s. I think I have not been able to identify the actual brands on the cars. I've literally tried to freeze fra frame them to see if I can identify them. I do not see logos, even though the styling of them seems very familiar. I mean, it looks like Mark might be driving a Volvo, but it doesn't have a Volvo logo on it. And Miss um, Selway or Harmony, as we discover, Patricia Arquette's character's name is this week, seems to be driving, I don't even know what that is. Is that a, is that a rabbit? <laughs> like an, an old school rabbit, like from the 80s? But, um, but then, of course, they have cell phones and uh, potentially Bluetooth as well. So is this present day? Is this 20 years ago? Is this 10 years ago? It's a big question. All right, digging right into the episode. We pick up right where we left off. We see PD, PD has now completed his shower. We kind of left off with PD having an episode inside the shower. He says that, oh, I think he just slipped on, you know, you should get some bath mats in here. But of course, we know that's not the case. We also find out that the kind of the setup for where Mark is living. PD's curious if anybody can look into the garage, into the basement and see him. And Mark calls out that, nope, nobody lives on one side and Miss Selwig lives on the other. So it is interesting that they've developed this area that is mostly vacant but it also speaks to the fact that, you know, they're just setting things up so that maybe in the future, maybe someone's staying in that vacant house, et cetera, right? So it's just giving us little breadcrumbs that might pay off later. Then we see something very cool. We see Petey is shifting between times, and he explains this later, but it's that this disease he has, this reintegration disease, is problematic because he is now trying to stitch his entire histories back together. And this is very problematic. He has his whole life on the outside of work. On the inside of work, he had a whole personality that had been robbed of any past. So now that past is trying to reintegrate itself. And this is literally, you know, <laughs> destroying his mind based on what we see here. But we see a very, we see this exemplified or, or visualized in a very, very cool way. We see Petey inside the bathroom. We see Irv walk in, John Turturro's character, into the bathroom at work. So now he has shifted into another temporal space. And this keeps going back and forth. He's suddenly in the present again, speaking to Mark. And he's trying to explain what is currently happening inside his mind. And then he jumps back into the office again. We see the camera panning back and forth behind him. 
And as it does, we see different versions of the present day Mark, past Mark. But very interestingly here is not only to show that he is shifting in time, which is beautifully done here, Ben Stiller once again directing, but it's also the fact that we get to see Petey at work. And this persona at work is very chipper, very upbeat. Mark even calls it out multiple times here within the episode that he really set the tempo for the office. And what a great job by this actor playing Petey. Yul Vasquez, which is one of those guys. You've probably seen him many, many times as a bit player in many different TV shows. But a great performance he gives here. Completely different sides of this persona in this one scene. Or I should say, not this persona, because of these two personas. So we start discovering some new things here. Many questions we had, yes, uh, last week. If you haven't listened to our episodes last week, check that out. Sona and I had many questions about where we thought, what people's motivations were, and where the show was going. And they start getting answered immediately in this in this episode. First of all, we were wondering, is Selvig uh, just a spy or is she truly concerned about Mark? She seems to really, truly have affection for Mark. She's very concerned about him. And we also find out over the course of this episode that she is not severed, is not seeing, or, or maybe does see Mark as a, a threat, but is also very concerned for him earnestly. Petey also fills in Mark that they said things were going to get better. They. It's like having two different lives suddenly stitched together. But the relativity's fucked. So my first day at Lumen's as far back as my fifth birthday, and with two pass, it blurs the present too. But they said it would get better. Who's they? They is a group of people that know severance is a blight on mankind. And they're gonna do something about it. The whole mind collective? The kid's trolling for signatures downtown now, not the fucking WMC. Oh. Someone else. Right. It is a more profound cabal. Who knows? Maybe it's just a competing business or competing technology, but we, we, yet, we have yet to know. We don't know if this is nefarious or if these are noble. They, but we, we have discovered that there is some group that is facilitating what's happening with Petey. We also, once again, great performance here by the character, the actor playing Petey. He mentions, where's June? And Mark asks, who's June? And he says, it's his daughter. She's the greatest kid in the world. She's a great guitar player. So is this someone he's lost? Has he lost her because this was something he was running away from, the way uh, Mark is running away from the death of his wife? Or is it somebody that he's lost because of this severance procedure? We don't know yet. But once again, great acting, uh, just, just great acting across the board, like really touching and, and, and impressive performances. That night, Mark tries to go to sleep, and he turns on the news. And of course, we see more controversy about the severance procedure. So any idea that this is all happening in a bubble and that like somehow the rest of the world is unaware of this, which just kind of happens with these kind of surreal shows, that's not the case. The severance procedure is apparently the talk of the nation. So you can barely walk out the door or turn on the TV without hearing something about it. So that kind of gives us some context for what's happening in the outside world. Mark drinks himself to sleep. Another motif here. He's constantly drinking. We find out that his wife died in a car accident about two years ago. And another great scene here. Hey morning you're in my basement right so i'm going to work like you said uh you can stay here if you want um i just want to let you know uh i'm not gonna reintegrate you know okay i lost my wife a couple years ago in a car accident this is uh it's helping me I'm sorry, Mark. No, no, no. At work? 
You'd come in sometimes with red eyes. We had a joke that you had an elevator allergy. There's even a song for it. But I always wondered, you carry the hurt with you. You feel it down there too. You just don't know what it is. And I think that's very important. That's another thing that we were talking about with Sona. Uh, I talked about Sona last week, was the idea of can you really subconsciously disconnect just because you don't remember something? Does it mean that you don't feel it? And PD seems to be indicating here that you could forget something. You could just, you know, remove it from your memory. But that doesn't mean your body doesn't have that memory and isn't dealing with it still. And I think that's what Mark wanted from this procedure. And he's still vested in believing that that's possible. But I think PD's letting him know that that's not the case. And I mean, honestly, I think that there is no real way to run away from something like that. So Mark runs into Miss Selvig, who's hair drying her <laughs> front steps to, to uh, melt the ice. I don't know why she draws attention to herself. She's going to eventually sneak into his house anyway. So it's kind of funny that she's trying to put on this, this uh, performance that she's putting on as the friendly neighbor. And now that I just said that, I think that is an interesting motif, right? When you think about how different these personas are, her home version of herself and her work version of herself. And it goes back to what we were discussing before, that one of the metaphors in this show is an illustration of this bifurcation of our personalities when we are interacting with different people. It's not just with work and life, that work-life balance, supposedly. But of course, we perform differently with our children, with our spouses, with older friends, with newer friends, with our coworkers, with our non-coworkers. All their contexts require different elements of our personalities. So it's funny to see Miss Selwig as at home and at work where she's not severed. So these are Patricia Arquette's character is explicitly performing two personas. In the case, and in her scenario, she has two different names, right? So Mark is severed and has one name. Miss Selwig slash Harmony has two different names, but one supposed integrated personality. So it asks the question of just how integrated our personalities really are. Oh, I didn't call this out before, but I do want to call it out here. I did think it was interesting that the news story, they did talk about this severance procedure, something I hadn't considered at all. Of course, as a man, I probably wouldn't have thought about this at first. But this realization, imagine this is a woman that they're addressing this story on the news that her innie or workie, <laughs> which is supposed to be a slur or something, anyway, uh, on this show, got pregnant by one of her coworkers, I would assume. And she doesn't know, was she assaulted? Was this consensual? She doesn't know. And uh, meanwhile, this has happened inside of work. And of course, she now is outside of work and is pregnant, <laughs> which is a shocking realization to make when you don't know you've been having sex, right? Uh, with who knows, right? But is she married at home? So is she cheating without knowing she's cheating? So this is all, once again, raises these very interesting questions. So I did want to call that out. Back to the timeline of the episode. Mark shows up at work. Irv says, you look slim. Were you food poisoned? <laughs> I like the way Irv talks. He kind of has a very strange way of delivering his lines. Helly does come in pretty proud in a way that she did find those scary numbers. I did something. I did, I did a thing. I did a thing yesterday, she says. But she has resigned with PD no longer there. Mark has to take on the office manager duties or maybe just team manager. I'm not sure exactly what, her, what his position is. And has to do the notes or the, the headlines for the day. And, of course, that includes the fact that Helly's Audi has rejected her. Now, we're not even sure if this is the case, but it does seem to be pretty clear from the show that they are able to either find or manipulate the Audis to keep their innies in. Like, I, I, and it seems like this doesn't even have to be so nefarious as their mechanisms of control because it's probably pretty easy to keep people vested in their inner work, especially when it allows their Audis 
to basically not have to do it. I mean, in, in their minds, they get paid for not doing work, right? They lose their hours, but they don't have to think about it. So that is actually a pretty sweet deal for the Audis <laughs> and a pretty horrendous deal for the Innies. And I think that is what is trying to be explored here. But this sets her off. She starts to spiral a little bit here. And there'll be much more to say about Helly's character over the course of this recap. We have another funny scene with Mark's brother, brother-in-law, I should say. Just a great performance here. <laughs> this totally clueless, hippy-dippy psychologist. And he's written many books. He's up to his sixth book, I believe. And he's delivering it to Mark's house. He's so proud. He's so excited. Wish I'd leave it. I mean, th this whole scene is very funny. And his wife, apparently he's clueless <laughs> at reading his wife's, uh, uh, you know, complete uh, annoyance, irritation with this situation. Oh, and like I mentioned earlier, Selvig does eventually go check out what this is. Just to, you know, they're snooping on Mark. They want to make sure nothing sneaks in to um, disrupt his, uh, his duality. So she takes the book, brings it to work. But before then, she does explore his house. So she actually goes inside. She has a key. Doesn't have to break in. She has a key to the house. This is when we realize, when she's actually on the phone to Milchik, that she is not severed. So there's continuity between the two. Strangely, she finds the Tupperware with Mark's wife's crafts in it. And she smells the candle and says, oh, no, no, no. Maybe thinking this is maybe too upsetting for Mark. And she takes the candle with her. Oh, and Milchik, uh, apparently, I don't know if I called this out already, it, it does not seem to be severed either, based on these uh, interactions between them. She does have Milchik read, read the book for any kind of hidden messages. This seems like a very silly thing to even bother doing. I mean, it doesn't really hurt to read the book, and they don't think that there's anything nefarious about it. But I do still think this is kind of a waste of time, given the fact that if they were trying to hide any messages for him, they would simply just have him over and talk to him about it. <laughs> He's obviously interacting with them on the outside world. So none of this seems to be important. And of course, there's also the speak to the fact that there are ways to smuggle code in and out if they are able to get that book into the building. So they probably have a separate elevator, which doesn't erase their mind or scan them for code or whatever. So maybe a loophole for being able to communicate with the outside world. This is also where we see that Harmony now, Patricia Arquette's character is called Harmony at work. I don't think we knew that previously. And she has a very awkward conversation with the board. Oh, another call out here. This silent board listening in creepily on the speakerphone is, uh, feels like a direct reference to David Lynch, another one of these very dry, very surrealist uh, comedians and a similar episode in Mulholland Drive. She says that when Petey was here, that he, she, he seemed to show signs of reintegration. To which the board, via Natalie, says, you should know, as a manager, that reintegration is impossible. But of course, we know that, once again, what does that mean? Does it mean that it is truly impossible and they're just trying to close their eyes to it? Does it mean that anyone who reintegrates eventually gets caught and disposed of? Or does it mean that reintegration eventually kills you? Which maybe, unfortunately, we may have seen Pete die by the end of this episode. But importantly, in this scene, we see that despite all the niceties, Harmony does feel like she is probably trapped once again, just like the rest of these people. And I don't know why I didn't see this earlier, but obviously when you just see the pictures of Petey's layout of the office space, they are rats in the maze. And we see Heli later sprinting through these hallways. And of course, it's always been the case, whether they're running or walking through these maze-like corridors, that this is, they're all trapped. And that includes Harmony slash Peggy slash Selvig, Back to Helly's meltdown, she's trying to write messages to smuggle out. She's trying to write on her body. She's trying to uh, write like half the words on one side, half the words on the other. So see if she can smuggle them out. He says, nope, that's not going to work. 
And, uh, you know, you better wash that off or they're going to use the bad soap on you. And she's like, there's bad soap. <laughs> so she doesn't know what to believe here. Maybe this is just like what you tell your kids. But considering they did find the notes on her previously, uh, I don't think she wants to chance it that much. We also see Harmony is very annoyed with Mark. Throws another coffee mug at him. This one he dodges. He asks her if she'd like the door open or close. She says both, <laughs> which she doesn't know how to respond to. But you see that she's being pressured. She is not the power here. She's being pressured from above just like everybody. The shit rolls downhill, as they say, and we still don't know how high it goes. We have a funny sequence here where we hear Dylan talking about muscle shows. <laughs> My delts are embarrassingly good today. My Audi does muscle shows for sure. If your Audi did muscle shows, you wouldn't have to work here. I'm sorry, do you know how much muscle shows pay? No, none of us can know that. I imagine it's a tiered system. Perhaps there are different monetary prizes for gold, silver, and bronze. No. Uh, my guess is that they do it piecemeal per muscle. So no, I don't think so. Best delt, 30 bucks. Best ab, 20 bucks. Biceps are a little flashier, 75 bucks. I would think lats carry a high value. They're considered very attractive in muscle building circles and in society at large. Lats are bullshit, dude. In the center you of are, good you physique. Are all Which I just made me laugh when I thought about this whole sequence because of not only this bizarre way they talk about this outside world that has muscle shows, when you realize when we saw Heli's awakening scene in the episode one, that you're such a blank slate when you come in here that you have some kind of vague understanding of the world, but not true memories of the world, that they are making things up to a large extent. Like they know that muscle shows exist and this is how, and it just made me laugh, not specifically the muscle shows, but just the idea that this is how everything in their mind is kind of working. They have only this figurative concept of what's on the outside and don't even have like concrete memories of any of it. Just a very strange way to have to live your life. But the reason that Mark went to see Selvig was to get approval to go to this Museum of Perpetuity, which is Irv's idea. Irv thinks that this will inspire Heli. And as funny as this is in the moment, it actually is enlightening later. On their way through this very large labyrinth of uh, hallways, they do run into O&D again. Dylan is very antagonistic to O&D. Optics and design. Back with that on the roof, I'm not. Bert? Hi. I trust that your session was good. Great, very restorative. You two know each other? We were just admiring some Lumen artwork together very briefly. Remember, we'll have those new handbook totes soon. So exciting. Thanks for the tip. You got some business? Okay. Or you just out for a fucking stroll? Dylan. What? Just, I just, I think you guys are cool, and I'm just wondering what you're up to. It's rare seeing you out of your hole. Okay. Egg drop challenge in the team building space. Tight department like us gotta keep our synergy up. Egg drop challenge. You buy this fucking shit? And what are you guys doing? Policia. Perpetuity wing visit. Uh, this is Heli, our new refiner. Welcome, Heli. Well, we should get back. Can't leave the nest empty. Good to see you, O&D. Those eggs look like shit. They seem to think that the O&D tried to take over <laughs> the corporation at some point, which seems unlikely considering their purview. So by this point, we have arrived at the Museum of Perpetuity. This is very creepy. They have wax sculptures of all the CEOs with these very pithy, strange, like life mantras. One of the audio recordings that's playing says that the that everybody's personalities are based on a balance of woe, frolic, dread, and malice. <laughs> now, this very bizarre life philosophy makes me think about two things. One is 
how we're always trying to personality type people. We even take these tests when we, like many offices, actually do use these tests to put you on a career path. So maybe think about that. And it also made me think about uh, Scientology, just as kind of like these self-help groups that eventually become organizations and, and, uh, and religions even. And I think that all of these things are being explored here in a, some, some parodic or sarcastic way. There's a great moment here where Heli is looking at the only female CEO they've had. And Irv walks over and goes, you should be so proud. Look, this woman, she became the first CEO. That's five CEOs ago. But of course, there's only been one. That's the first thing to, to call out here, that you know, having the one token time when a woman was the CEO is supposed to be a moment of pride. But Heli has a great singer where she goes, oh, yeah, it's very touching. It makes me wish I remembered my own childhood. Isn't that lovely? It's beautiful. It almost makes me wish I remembered my own childhood. It's an unnatural state for a person to have no history. History makes us someone, gives us a context, a shape. But waking up on that table, I was shapeless. But then, I learned that I work for a company that has been actively caring for mankind since 1866. Look, each of these is a real smile from someone on the outside. Someone Lumen Industries has helped. And they rotate these through. The true number of smiles may well be in the millions. So what are we, like a dental company? No. My point is you're part of a history now. A noble one. And that's so much more. They update the mouth wall? It's not called the mouth wall. Damn, they took down the chick I like. Are you guys ready to go? We just got here. And this is a really good scene. And I really like what gets said here by Irv. Not that I agree with it. But it does make me start thinking about how these are archetypes of people that we've probably all worked with in the past. Inevitably, we've probably worked with people who are like the rebellious person, the rebellious person who's always trying to break the system from the inside. And you may wonder to yourself, well, why are they here if they feel that way? On the other hand, you have somebody like Irv represents that person who says, I'm here for the mission. I believe in the company so much that I have negated the self for the greater good of what this business is. And then you have somebody like Dylan. He's just in competition who, with whoever he sees. Whoever that guy is across the way, he's just immediately antagonized with him going, I'm going to have a better score than he does. I'm going to get more tchotchkes than that guy does. I'm going to get more pancake parties than that guy does. And our department's going to defeat the department next door. And you're like, well, why is he so antagonistic? Like what, he, he has created a story <laughs> to make him the good guy and then the bad guys just to keep him motivated to keep going. And I think that's very interesting. And, and I think it's very true. If you've worked in many office environments like I have, you probably have seen all of these basic uh, types of people that are often very antagonistic or very angry at management or very angry at their coworkers and uh, kissing up to management or very idealistic and just feel like, well, I'll take one for the team because I believe in this uh, so much. It's so strange that all these people have been working here sometimes for 10, 15 years with very, very different motivations and somehow are all working together anyway. And I always find it very fascinating, the kind of the people who kind of stick it out for the long term and end up creating this dysfunctional family in a particular team and it's like why are these people these strange amalgamation of completely unrelated people why are these the people that have stuck together for so long and i think that once again is something that's being explored here 
So at this point, Heli escapes while they are arguing. Ur finds out that they've been playing this bingo game. He finds it to be like an affront to his ideological view of the company. And Heli tries to take this moment to escape again. She tries to go. She has written on that piece of paper, never come back here, something to that extent. She's racing through this hallway. She tries to get back to the door that she exited from, out from before. And her intention is to simply hold the note out as she runs out the door and have her Audi read the note with the note in her hand, in her handwriting, a way to tell her Audi to never come back here again. Of course, when she arrives at the door, it is not unlocked. Once again, they are smart enough to know that that door only unlocks when it is planned. That door does not just casually open. So she cannot open the door and she tries to take a fire extinguisher to smash the window, stick her arm out, and she, ideally she's trying to stick her head out of that little hole so once again, she can at least read the note, but her head doesn't fit through the window and security arrives and takes her to the break room. So we finally are inside the break room for the first time. And it turns out in the break room that they read this statement over and over and over again until it sounds like they're doing it earnestly. And this is interesting too, that they are being brainwashed into repeating this until they are sincere. Like, is, do they think that just by repetition that this is going to indoctrinate these people? Again, please. Forgive me for the harm I have caused this world. None may atone for my actions but me. And only in me shall their stain live on. I am thankful to have been caught, my fall cut short by those with wizened hands. All I can be is sorry, and that is all I am. Again. Really? Also interesting that, for example, Mark had no memory of the break room. So will Heli have a memory of the break room in her any person persona after this? Remains to be seen. Oh, meanwhile, I hadn't even mentioned this, but I did mention that Selwig slash Harmony was inside of Mark's house poking around. PD, I think, recognized Harmony. And ideally, he would be able to get this information out to, to Mark. And there was the hope that that might happen, that Mark, the outside Mark would learn that Selwig is a spy, potentially. But what's happened was, while she was there, he had, like, a break. He escapes. He's not caught by Selwig, by, by Harmony. But in the meantime, has wandered out into the street. He's recreated the map he drew for, for Mark inside the office. He had created a map of the inside of the office. He's recreated it. And now he starts to follow it, but he's walking through the streets of this upstate New York location. And he's been wandering around all day in his robe, in the cold. By the way, there's snow, snow outside. And he's ended up at a convenience store. And he's saying, he's still in this fugue state, saying that I want to buy snacks, but I don't have any tokens because he thinks he's inside of Lumen. Mark goes straight home, realizes immediately that Petey's missing. And he starts to go out to try to track him down, driving through those different side streets, looking to see if he can find him. And I really like this scene, by the way. It's such a minor detail, but I do want to call out the craft of the show. There's a scene where he's at an intersection, an ambulance drives by, and you see him deciding, am I just going to keep driving further and further out into a broader circle, or am I going to follow the ambulance? And he almost goes the other way, and at the very last second, he turns in the direction of the ambulance, which I think we probably would all do, but I just like the fact that the show has the patience to show that scene, the actual decision-making of Mark in that moment. He follows the ambulance, and he arrives at this convenience store slash gas station and we see some EMTs are taking Petey outside and Mark is standing there watching. Petey makes eye contact with 
Mark. And we've seen in the past where worlds collide in his mind when he sees Mark because these two contexts are merging. And maybe this is the risk. We've heard that the company does not want these people to be friends outside of work. And maybe even when their memories are disconnected, internally, this kind of conflict starts to occur when there's these worlds colliding. But of course, without the dampener of the device in their minds, we see what happens, which is that Petey just collapses right there. It's very tragic. And I do worry that this might be the end of Petey, but I was hoping that Petey would at least warn Mark somehow that Selwig is Harmony. Mark, very interestingly, immediately his reaction is to run home and cover up the fact that Petey was there. This is interesting for a couple of reasons, but primarily it's, I wonder what Mark's motivation is here at this moment. Is he afraid of losing his job? Does he like want things to go back to normal? I mean, oftentimes that is what happens. People just don't want to pretend that something really bad is not happening. And for a while they just deny it. Or is he afraid of the company? Like what will the company do? Like, does he think that he may legitimately be at risk? in danger? Is it a combination of these things? So I think it's very interesting that we don't have that full insight and I can't answer that question. And then after he straightened everything up and he's like, good, I think I'm okay for now. He starts walking up the stairs and in the final moments, we hear a cell phone ringing. It's PD's cell phone. And who would be calling PD? We're pretty certain it's these group of folks and the answer now that have been trying to reintegrate PD's personas. And the question now is, does Mark answer that phone or not. Oh, very importantly, I don't know how I missed this, before he left and discovered that PD had wandered off, all that, and you know, after the whole drama with Heli, at the beginning of the episode, Mark had gotten the new team photos, and he had been replacing the old team photos with the new team photos, taking the frames from where he had hidden them last week and placing them at everybody's desks. And as he opens the last frame, of course it's always the last one, he finds the map, the map that PD's been trying to recreate on the outside and then he mentioned that I, I hid it for you somewhere in the office. And this turns out is where he hid it because he knew that Mark would be replacing him as the office manager. And it's on the back of the photograph. And that's what he's been working on internally. We actually see a moment of this in a flashback earlier in the episode. So now his, and he has this map and he doesn't throw it away. He puts the new photo on top of the old one and keeps it on his desk. So he will certainly be going back to that map at some point in the future. And that's what's happening to any Mark, a big question mark as to whether he's going to continue that investigation that PD had been doing internally. And of course, on the outside world, Mark discovering PD's phone. And will he be meeting, I'm pretty certain he will at some point, be meeting with this group, these anti-lumen slash reintegration folks. Okay, so my final thoughts on this episode, really interesting episode, uh, not as funny as last week. I missed the humor, but what I would say is there are moments here Maybe I'm just starting to empathize with these folks being trapped inside of this circumstance, but there were moments of true dread here. And I don't even know if that was the intention of the episode. It was for me just this oppressive <laughs> feeling having to live in this circumstance without an outside history. It was suffocating to me. And maybe that's a little intense for folks, but I thought it was really well done. And I'm still very, very curious. And I'm also very glad that they are unwinding so much of this plot so quickly. And I think there's a lot more plot to come yet. I believe this is the last episode we'll have with Ben Stiller right now. We have three in-between episodes. He will come back for the last three episodes, but then there's nine episodes total. So I believe it's three, three, and three. And we have three for, by Ben Stiller at the beginning, three at the end with another uh, director here in the middle. The next three episodes will be directed by Aof McArdle. I hope I'm saying that name correctly from Ireland. She has mostly directed music videos, but also directed some episodes of Brave New World, a peacock show that I did not watch at all. 
and got some decent reviews. But I'm curious to see those episodes, which I hear are also very good. And then, of course, uh, Stiller does come back for the final three episodes, which I hear are very tense. So some final thoughts. I really like the satire of this idea of creating a family in an office space. We probably all lived in that circumstance where you go to work in an office and they have this whole idea of these little ceremonies and this whole family that, you know, this is where your family here at work. And and there's I was trying to track this down. I couldn't track it down ex- explicitly. Freakonomics had a whole series last year on this kind of changing relationship people have with work. And something they mentioned there, which I found really fascinating, is this idea that over time, people have moved more and more to urban areas to be closer to their jobs because there's been this brainwashing, basically, culturally over this period of time that as people have been asked to spend more and more and more time at work, their bonds to their local communities gets weaker and weaker. People are less and less involved with their local communities and they're more spending more and more time in the office, which is a reversal to where things were generations ago. A lot of business management has come around to say, well, how do we take advantage of this or make people feel more comfortable with it? And what they've come in is to come up with these kind of ideas of creating this internal community, this internal family. So your family is here, your friends are here. So as people become less and less vested with their friends that they've had from previous experiences with friends they have in their local communities, less time spent and invested in their local communities, they obviously try to create a stronger bond to these quote unquote families in those businesses. So this is a true business strategy that's been happening over the past decades, illustrated here where you explicitly have disconnected these people from the outside world. So this is, they're forced to be a family, right? These are the only people, this is the only context they know. I do like the satire of taking this casual situation we all live in when we work in an office, making it explicit by just basically forcing these people to be only, to only interact with each other. For better, whether they like it or not, they're really trapped with these people. So I couldn't pick out the specific episode, but I would just in general say, go check down, check out once again, last season, there's a whole series of episodes from Freakonomics in 2020 or 2021, I believe, early 2021 or late 2020, where they talk about the modern office and uh, these cultural philosophies internally. The other thing it made me think about was this whole culture of having one team bicker with another or having these teammates bickering with each other and how this is another method of control that you could imagine in a much more nefarious way how if you create a contentious team of team members with very different personalities and very different points of view. And of course, once again, this is a satire on the fact that we all we all work, I should say, in teams like this. But it does speak to the idea of we, you know, I'm a, a technologist, so, so oftentimes us working in one t- technological team don't even understand how our project interacts with another technological project, much less how this all feeds into the business's uh, philosophy, uh, global philosophy more broadly, because everyone's so specialized that you're, you know, you do a very specific job within a very specific team and how everyone's just this little cog in this giant machine. So there's this question raised multiple times here that what if what your job was is murdering people every single day to which Mark says, well, is that what I'm doing? And PD just says like, I don't know. And that's the crazy thing about it. Let's say some people think that like Facebook is a nefarious organization. They're tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world that work for Facebook that are just doing their specific job. They're just pushing a broom. They're just administrating a database. They're not doing anything evil every single day. But are you doing something evil if you are supporting an evil organization? And that's a question that's being raised here. And it reminds me of the joke of the Death Star, the Star Wars, that there's this whole joke 
that goes around saying that when the Death Star was destroyed and everybody's celebrating that that was a Death Star that was not fully operational, that was still under construction. So what did that mean? That there's maintenance, wor maintenance workers, there's construction workers. So you killed a handful of generals and you killed tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of worker bees, just common everyday hourly wage workers who probably couldn't get a better job because the empire controlled their entire economy. So the joke is when they blew up the Death Star, how many hundreds of thousands of innocent people died <laughs> so that they could kill like one or two uh, higher ups. And that's the question that's being asked here once again, right? Like if you are a cog in the machine and the machine is evil, are what you're doing evil or are you just trying to make ends meet? And that's basically the, the um, compromise that we probably all make every single day. Okay, so that's the episode. Once again, make sure you tune in later this week. I will have my thoughts on the Ukrainian crisis from a tech point of view, things you can do to protect yourself. There will definitely be more cyber attacks this year. First of all, there was over a billion dollars worth of ransom attacks last year. That was a significant increase over the year before. And there was estimated to be almost $2 billion. This is just in the United States, by the way, of ransomware attacks this year in the United States. And uh, with this um, Ukrainian assault, I think you're going to see those Russian hackers even more active. So we need to be a little wary of this. I mean, there are many other concerns here as well, but I specifically want to focus on things we can do to protect ourselves from a technological standpoint. I'll have that later this week. And either in that episode, depending on how long it goes, or a separate episode, I will also be watching the new The Batman movie in movie theaters. And I'll be giving you my review of that as well. So stay tuned for all of that. Subscribe, need some introduction at gmail.com. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or on any podcatcher that you happen to be using. Drop us a line, need some introduction at gmail.com. And check out some of our older episodes. If you're enjoying this Severance show, you might have liked our coverage of Succession, a very popular recap show we had. If you like The After Party, a much funnier comedy slash mystery show, Only Murders in the Building, check out that show and check out our recaps of them. Our most popular recaps were Mayor of Easttown. If you like horror like I do, check out our reviews of Candyman, Scream, the most recent Scream movie, a very popular episode we had recently. If you're catching up on Dexter, we did reviews of Dexter, New Blood, not very successful by the way, but entertaining nonetheless our conversations about it so lots of stuff there check our catalog probably something in there that you've seen or that you want to see and you can listen to our recaps and reviews to get more ideas or to help you make your decisions and of course recommend this to anybody who might appreciate this thanks for listening and i'll talk to you soon